Today is Thursday, March the 30th, 2023, and it's a great day to have a day here on the Spurs Up show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. On today's show, I break down this weekend series as South Carolina heads to Starkville, Mississippi to take on the Bulldogs of Mississippi State. Guys, I'll break down the series in its entirety. First things first, we'll start with the Bulldogs. They're pitching, they're hitting. Also, of course, we'll talk South Carolina speculations around the starting rotation. Who will get the baseball this weekend for the Ardcocks? Also, what to watch for, key player for the weekend, and I will lock in my prediction as well. Also, guys, it's never too early to talk South Carolina and SEC football. And who better than Braden Gall of 440 Sports and the Fringe Element Podcast as he joins me to break it all down. We talk Shane Beamer, Spencer Rattler, the 2023 schedule, and much, much more. Guys, we have got a packed show for you here on this Thursday. And of course, as always, it's brought to you by our friends over at Prize Picks. Download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com. And when you do, use the promo code TSUS to receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. Guys, Prize Picks is the simplest fantasy game on the market focused around prop total entries. Here's how it works you pick two to six players and you can win it to 10 times on any entry. Prize Picks has no sharks, optimizers, or mass multi injury, guys. It's literally just you against. The projection. They also allow mixed sport entry. So, for example, you can take the over on LeBron, parlay with the under on Mahomes. You can play college sports, pro sports, anything and everything you can think of. They have got it over at Price Picks. They also have a slick, easy to use mobile app, both in the App Store and Google Play, and they're rated 4.8 star. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. In the App Store with rave reviews, guys. So many fans and listeners of the Spurs Up show have made tons of money with our friends at Prize Picks, and you should as well. So again, go download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com. And when you do, use that promo code TSUS to receive 100% instant deposit match up to. $100. Be sure to check them out and tell them that Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. Let's get it.
starting to feel like Omaha around these parts as the Yardcocks are off to their best start in school history. And another big SEC weekend on deck. Ladies and gents, boys and girls, happy Thursday. Hope you're all doing well. Chris Phillips here, your host of the Spurs Up, as always. And we have got a jam-packed show for you here on this Thursday. Guys, hope you're having a fantastic weekend. I hope this show does find you well. No matter where you are, what you're doing, a lot to talk about and very, very excited to do so, guys, before we get into everything, a couple of housekeeping items, because this is a huge weekend, especially in the upstate. Tonight, the TSUS Spring Tour rolls on. We'll be live rocking downtown Greenville, the Carolina Ale House in downtown. Also, guys, it will serve as a tour stop plus watch party as we watch the baseball game tonight. Of course, Gamecocks taking on Mississippi State. That game will be aired on the big channel on SEC Network. So we'll, we'll be watching that game. First pitch, of course, is at 7 o'clock. I will have all the merchandise on hand. The Beamer Ball to the Moon Tour t-shirts. We'll have the Beamer Ball towels. We'll have koozies. We'll have koozies to give away as well. So again, really excited as we double dip a bit tonight and next Thursday also, right? Because of the Thursday, Friday, Saturday series. We will do all the tour stuff. I will speak on the mic, all that good stuff. But also, we will be watching the baseball game tonight live from Carolina Ale House, downtown Greenville. So all my upstate Gamecocks, would love to see you guys out there. It's going to be one hell of a time. On that note, again, sticking with the upstate, like I mentioned, the next week and a half or so is going to be very, very busy and a great week for all the upstate Gamecocks. So again, definitely get excited if you're in the 864. Like I mentioned, tomorrow night, the Final Four for South Carolina women's basketball as Dawn Staley's squad takes on the Iowa Hawkeyes. We are throwing a watch party tomorrow night, of course. You've probably seen the graphic on social media by now, but we will be out back at the Woodruff Road location for the Final Four game against Iowa. Tip-off is at 9. Yours truly I try to get there before all of these events about an hour beforehand. So if you get there an hour beforehand, you probably will see me out about kind of setting up, getting everything situated. But uh, tip off at 9 o'clock. I'll be there around 8 or so getting set up. Going to be a really, really great time, a great way to spend a Friday night, and a great way to watch the Gamecocks. Also, of course, the baseball game will be going on same time. So I will have my laptop up and out and watching that game so we can all watch all the games together. And then on Sunday, assuming... Of course, assuming that South Carolina gets the job done tomorrow night, the Gamecocks will play in the national championship on Sunday. I believe it would be Sunday night. I'm guessing the tip-off time would be around 7 o'clock or so. So I will let you guys know as soon as that game is over on Friday night, right, right after the Gamecocks get the big win over Iowa, we will host that watch party on Sunday, so be sure to stay tuned to social media for all the details, and it will be back out at the Woodruff Road location, Carolina Ale House, of course. So again, really, really excited to be at the various Carolina Ale House locations throughout this weekend. Tour and watch party tonight, downtown Greenville, Woodruff Road on Friday, and then, of course, Sunday when the Gamecocks do advance to the national championship. So it's a great weekend to be an upstate Gamecock, that's for sure, and a great weekend to be a Yardcock in general as we move into this weekend series. South Carolina goes on the road to take on the Mississippi State Bulldogs in a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series. All the action gets going 
tonight, 7 o'clock first pitch. Of course, tomorrow, 7 o'clock. And then Saturday at 3 o'clock, all of those times are Eastern. All three games, of course, being played in Starkville, Mississippi at Duty Noble Stadium, better known as The Dude by college baseball fans. One of the greatest venues in all of college baseball. The game tonight aired on SEC Network, the big channel, as I mentioned before, SEC Network Plus for the Friday and the Saturday games. The head coach of the Bulldogs is Chris Lamonis. And Mississippi State, to say that this program is off to a rough start this year, uh, it's putting it kindly, guys. They're 15-11 and 11 overall, but 0-6 in the SEC. And here's some perspective for you guys. Mississippi State has lost 17 SEC games in a row dating back to last year. So the Gamecocks will look to add to that total and make it 20 straight SEC losses for Mississippi State. So a very proud program, a program that we all know. I mean, if you follow college baseball, you think of Mississippi State, you think of elite college baseball programs, and you think of the Bulldogs. I mean, this is a team that won a national championship, what, two seasons ago that happened? And look where they are now. It's crazy, the the abruptness or the quickness, the fall from grace if you will, as you break down Mississippi State and you look at the woes, the pitching, the hitting, you've got to start on the mound, guys. That's really where it begins for this group. A 6.51 overall staff ERA, and get this, a 14.98 SEC ERA. Now, is that number a little bit inflated because you gave up 26 runs in one game to Vanderbilt? Maybe so, but again, that just gives you sort of an indication, an idea how badly they have struggled this season. Now, projected starting rotation for Mississippi State, we do not have one because none of those, none of that information has been published by South Carolina or Mississippi State at the time of recording this, which it's 5.22 p.m. Eastern on a Wednesday. So we've waited, we've waited pretty late in the day to try to get that information because obviously we have a lot of questions around the Gamecocks weekend rotation and who they're going to roll out there. But uh, nobody has said anything. So I don't know if they're trying to make us wait it out or what the deal is. But if you look at Mississippi State and also two guys – with how much they have struggled, right? You wonder if they'll be shaking up their weekend rotation. But thus far, you look at who has started in SEC play. You look at Gerangelo Clintige. I think that's how you say his name. He's a true freshman. Um, he's actually an ambidextrous pitcher. Pitcher So throws from both those, the left-handed side and the right-handed side. 11.74 ERA. He is 0-1 overall. Hitters hitting 241 against them. You then go down the list. Uh Nate Dome is another dude who has started a sophomore right-hander, six foot four, 210 pounds, a nine ERA, and he is 0-2 in his starts. Landon Gartman, another one, a senior right-handed pitcher, uh six foot 215 pounds, a 13.97 ERA, 0-2 in SCC play. And then the other guy who started just one game, Graham Yentima, I believe that's how you say his name, a sophomore lefty, six foot four, 230 pounds, and 81 <laughs> ERA. 0 and 1. He went just two thirds of an inning in his one appearance, gave up six earned runs. Guys, in SEC play, hitters are hitting 342 against the Mississippi State pitching staff. 17 home runs they have allowed, 17 bombs they've allowed in just six games. 
in SEC play. So that bodes very, very well for obviously a Gamecocks team that is swinging it red hot right now. And obviously the power numbers, we all know what they are. So with Mississippi State, you just heard some of the dudes they may roll out there this weekend, but it has been really, really tough sledding for everybody who has gotten a baseball. When you look at the offensive side of things, been a little bit better. They've been solid offensively, hitting 298 as a team, a 242 SEC average thus far. Uh, they also utilize their speed on the base pass, 43 for 47 in stolen bases. And when you look at players to watch for for the Bulldogs, you got to start with Hunter Hines hitting 310 on the year, 10 home runs, 29 RBI. You then look at Kellum Clark hitting 278, eight homers, and 18 RBI. And then finally, Colton Ledbetter, who's hitting 341, five homers, 32 ribbies. He is also 13 for 14 on the base pass in stolen bases. So, guys, this is Mississippi State, right? Like, they still have talent. They still have quality ball players, but it really has been the struggles on the mound that have defined their season, especially their SEC season, to this point. Now, guys, when you look at the Gamecocks, a really interesting weekend, right? A South Carolina team that now sits in the top 10. You're off to the best start in school history. You're 24 and two. You're undefeated in SEC play at six and zero, and you come in and there's questions about the starting rotation, right? More on that in just a second, because as we look at top storylines and what to watch for, I have to start with this. What in the world has happened to Mississippi State baseball? I mean, I, I compare this almost guys to the fall off of South Carolina football, right? Where it happened so abruptly and so quickly. And it felt like you blinked. You went from, you know, Connor Shaw beating Clem Sucks for a fifth time in a row and, and winning 11 games for the third straight season to literally losing to the Citadel. Like life came at us very, very fast. As I know you all remember so vividly, Mississippi State baseball, though, we're talking about a program that won a national championship, right? Had dudes on dudes on studs on names. And then, you know, last year they were lackluster. And this year, I mean, they have been downright abysmal. What in the world has happened to Mississippi State? And I think it's just so interesting. You feel like at some point, I mean, are they going to be the worst team in the SEC West? Are they going to be the worst team in the conference? They very well may be so. I mean, they are absolutely terrible. But you feel like at some point, like Mississippi State, They've lost 17 in a row in SEC play. They're not going to go undefeated. Excuse me. They're not going to go defeated in SEC play. They're eventually going to win a game. I'd be want to say they're eventually going to win a series. The Gamecocks cannot allow it to be this weekend. Now, as we move into, guys, the starting rotation, I want to talk about these starting rotation rumors because, of course, that is a major storyline for the Gamecocks. We've been talking about this all week long. How do you handle Will Sanders? What should you do? I have given my two cents, and I've given my opinions of why – I would not shake things up. However, we started to hear this early yesterday, per the big spur, that apparently, because we have not heard anything from Gamecocks baseball, they have not tweeted anything, have not said anything, we have no idea at this moment what the weekend rotation is going to be, except that eight minutes ago, Gamecocks baseball just threw up the graphic, and there it is. It is officially official. Eli Jones will get the ball Tomorrow, so as I'm sitting here telling you all that they have not said anything, there it is. Will Sanders has been, at least for this weekend, replaced in the weekend rotation. Eli Jones will get the baseball tonight. It will then go Noah Hall and Jack Mahoney. So status quo on games two and three. But tonight, Eli Jones will get the baseball. And we have heard from people. We have heard 
that Will Sanders is going to get a bit of a mental reset weekend, if you will. Let me say this. Mark Kingston and company, they have pushed all the right buttons to this point in the season. So I'm not going to sit here and absolutely slam everyone in the coaching staff. This is the wrong move. Do I agree with the move? No, I do not. I absolutely don't agree with the move. I think I'd much more, I'd much rather Will Sanders have the opportunity against a lackluster Mississippi State team to figure it out rather than start playing with a weekend rotation, especially when you're undefeated in SEC play. On the flip side, if you're going to experiment and tinker with things and give Will Sanders a bit of a reset weekend, this is the weekend to do so in a weekend that you should still be able to win all three games no matter who's on the bump, right? Like, you've got that pitching depth. And I think Eli Jones, good pitcher, right? He's a good pitcher. Would I say he's a game one guy? Not necessarily, but there's a lot of other SEC teams that Eli Jones, he would be a weekend starter, like no doubt. So this is absolutely fascinating. The way they are handling Will Sanders, the way they're handling this weekend rotation and giving him sort of a quote-unquote mental reset weekend. And I'll be fascinated to see, when does Will Sanders start? And also this, guys, what really intrigues me in my question, now what does Will Sanders now have to do to earn his way back to starting in that game one spot? Is it as simple as he's going to come in relief at Eli Jones and then next week against LSU, uh, as long as he pitches well, they're going to put him back in that game one slot? Like, how do they handle this? Because I think it's a very tricky situation. And also, too, I just li- I just think about the situation, like, you're messing with something that no matter how ugly it's been at times with Will Sanders, it's been working. Like, you are winning you are winning. So again, Mark Kingston and company, they, they have pressed all the right buttons, but this is a very, very, very interesting weekend now with it's confirmed. Eli Jones will get the baseball tonight against Mississippi State, and I don't really know what that means or when we will see Will Sanders toe the rubber. If at all, they might just totally give him the weekend off, which I think would be kind of a crazy move. But uh, obviously they're trying to A, make a point, and B, you know, just change something up for him, right? That, you know, you, you hate to keep throwing him out there and him get frustrated. I totally get that. But also, too, you want your guy to be able to go out there and figure it out. You're not going to figure it out in the bullpen. You've got to figure it out on the game mound, in a game, find some success, get that confidence back, and get back to being the guy you know you can be. So how they handle it, I mean, this is absolutely fascinating for a team that is, again, in the top 10, undefeated in SEC play, and now you're seeing South Carolina tinker with the rotation. It's absolutely electric stuff, and I cannot wait to see how this plays out. Uh, guys, something else I'm watching for, Evan Stone and Will Tippett. Stone out in the outfield, Will Tippett at second base. Those guys continue to fight for and claim roles. Evan Stone is swinging as hot a stick as anybody right now. I mean, it's absolutely crazy, especially with the power numbers. I mean, that's something I absolutely did not see. Um, after the injury to Will McGillis, the Gamecocks have had to get a little bit creative with their starting nine, with who they got out there. I think Evan Stone, we all know what he can do with the glove, but it was just swinging the stick that left you desiring more, if you will. Um, you love to see him get hot. I think Evan Stone is certainly staking claim to being an everyday outfitter for you. And then Will Tippin. I think what's just so interesting is I, I think we all thought that with the injury to McGillis, it was a no-brainer, right? that Michael Braswell was going to get the opportunity to be out there in the infield. And, you know, for whatever reason, uh, you know, they, they, I, I like the upside of Will Tippett. Don't get me wrong, but it, for whatever reason, they just do not like Michael Braswell in the infield, whether it be his range, whether it be his consistency swinging the stick, what have you, they prefer Tippett over Braswell. So again, to continue to watch these guys, 
sort of stake their claims to their respective roles on this ball club. Going to be really interesting to see how it plays out this weekend as well. Uh, guys, something else I'm watching for is just how does this team handle and manage the big expectations, right? Because it, it's always kind of a, dare I say, an uneasy feeling to go into a weekend where you're such a heavy favorite, right? Like, and you're absolutely expected to win. You're absolutely expected to win, right? Everybody is going to be picking the Gamecocks to sweep. Mississippi State has lost 17 in a row. They've been absolutely abysmal in doing so. But baseball is a funny game, right? Baseball is a very funny game. And it seems like you have to expect the unexpected in this game. And it feels like the moment you feel like you've got it all figured out, that's when it most surprises you. So I will say this, South Carolina is the heavy favorite. They are expected to win, and they should be expected to win with the way they've played, with the way Mississippi State has looked. But how do the Gamecocks handle that, right? I mean, again, baseball is just such a tricky game. It's such a funny game. Um, you know, is, a, it, is it a Mississippi State team that is just totally disconnected and rolls over and Carolina blast State for three games? Or do we see much more uncomfortable ball games and much closer ball games late? Does it require more late-inning heroics, if you will, right? Right. I think a lot of people looked at Missouri last week and maybe thought that was going to be easy. It was everything. But so, you know, managing the big expectations of sort of you have that target on your back where it's like, you know, you're now being looked at. You're a top 10 team. You're expected to win. How does this group handle that going into Starkville, which is still a pretty tough place to play? And that's the final thing, guys, I'm looking forward to is just the atmosphere at Duty Noble Stadium. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, I'm a little bit. I'm a little sad I can't make the trip because I really would love to one day get down there, and no matter how bad or good or what have you, Mississippi State baseball is, would love to get down there and just see that atmosphere. One of the best atmospheres in all of college baseball, and their fans will be electric. Their fans will be out there really excited for this ball club, and these guys, they get to experience that. So, Duty Noble, the atmosphere, uh, how does that play a part? Does it play a part at all? Like, are Mississippi State fans – still engaged and fired up for baseball going to be really interesting to see what's that what that's like and if it if it impacts the weekend at all guys this is one of my key player of the weekend and we were just discussing i think it's eli jones man i i think that you feel really confident going in a weekend that south carolina will be able to at minimum win two of three but how does eli jones now handle this opportunity if you will we love the pitching depth you love the guys you have eli jones is another one that he's been really good for you in the midweek He's been electric on the weekends when he's gotten the opportunity out of the bullpen. But now starting in a game one, you know, you change up his role so abruptly. How does he respond for you? So I think Eli Jones setting the tone for the weekend, making Mark Kingston and company look smart, look smart by making the move and, uh, you know, just setting that overall tone because winning the game one is still very, very, very important, obviously. So Eli Jones, my key player of the weekend, as he now gets the baseball tonight and gets this weekend started off, hopefully, on the right foot with the Garnet and Black, which leads me into my prediction. And guys, this is one where, again, I'm a little uneasy because it's it's just one of those things we all know, right? In sports, when it feels like it's too easy, it normally is, right? It just doesn't normally go that seamlessly. However, the Gamecocks, when you look at the way they've been playing, another fantastic midweek win at the Citadel, uh, a seven-inning win, if you will, Gamecocks are in the top 10, 24-2, and 6-0 in SEC play, playing with all types of momentum and confidence. You then look on the other side, Mississippi State. I mean, they are absolutely down and out. They're talking about firing Lamonis, their head coach. It has just been a nightmare already of a season. 
I think the Gamecocks will continue that nightmare. Give me the team that is red hot right now, playing with all the confidence. I think if South Carolina attacks this weekend the right way, plays their game, I think they will win all three games. And I think the Gamecocks, I think the Yardcocks will do that. They sweep this series. I just think South Carolina right now is just playing too well. Mississippi State, again, 17 straight SEC losses dating back to last year. And I think Carolina will extend that to 20 SEC losses in a row. And all of a sudden, Carolina will be 9-0 and in SEC play heading into next weekend series against the LSU Tigers at Founders Park, which is going to be absolutely electric. I mean, that's the other side, right? It's almost hard to fathom that Carolina could be 27-2 and and 9-0 and in SEC play. And if the Gamecocks do that, by the way, they will match their win total from last season, just 29 games into the season. I mean, it's it's almost hard to fathom, but we really are at that point. And, you know, Gamecock fans and everybody out there clamors for give us our respect, give us our respect. I think it's time we put respect on this ball club. I, I really do, and I, and I don't think it would be respectful, honestly, of what they've done and what they've earned picking anything less than a sweep. So again, I think the Gamecocks do sweep Mississippi State. We'd love to hear from you all, your thoughts, your reactions to the Eli Jones news, and just what your overall feelings are as Carolina heads in this series against Mississippi State in Starkville to take on the Bulldogs. Guys, cannot wait. Going to be an electric weekend at all the Carolina Alehouse locations, of course, tonight, downtown Greenville, tomorrow, Woodruff Road, and then hopefully again, and I think so, on Sunday, we'll be back out at Woodruff Road for our watch party. It's going to be an absolute blast. If you have any questions, be sure to reach out to me directly via DM, what have you, and be happy to answer those, but uh, really, really good stuff, guys. That's going to do all for me. Do not go anywhere, though. We have a great conversation with Braden Gall. Really, really excited. We talked SEC football, South Carolina football, and everything in between. Again, guys, thank you all so much for the continued love, the continued support. been a fantastic week already, and we're going to close this thing out in style all throughout the weekend. A very, very busy and exciting weekend in the world of Gamecocks athletics again guys thank y'all so much appreciate you all tuning in have a great rest of your thursday and enjoy this conversation with Braden gall of 440 sports and the fringe element podcast all right guys joining us down the spurs up show of course we're in the heat of baseball season but it is never too early to talk sec football and who better he's the owner of 440 Sports, the host of Fringe Element, an SEC football podcast. He's done work with ESPN Radio, Athlon Sports. You may have seen him recently on that SEC podcast with our good friend Michael Bratton. Braden Gall joins the show to talk some South Carolina football, SEC football, and everything in between. Braden, appreciate you taking the time, my friend. It is a pleasure to have you on for the very first time. And like I told you, man, I'll be honest. I, you know, just recently stumbled upon your content, your show, and love what I've heard so far. You guys do a great job talking SEC football. You've obviously obviously done a lot of great work, and so I appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, man. It, it, like, look, I, I've been to Omaha a bunch of times. I've covered the College World Series a bunch of times. It is one of my favorite things in all of sports to go do, uh, but I'm never going to be too far away from, you know, returning production and depth charts and quarterback <laughs> battles and the transfer portal. Like, college football is my baby. It's how I got started in this business 20 years ago. It will always be the, the my my the greatest sport on the planet, and of course the best conference in the greatest sport on the planet. So here we now, go, Braden. I'm not trying to set you up here, though. You're a Tennessee guy by trade, correct? 
Well, so long, this is first of all, I'm dead inside. Number one, you gotta <laughs> like, I, I, I got started at Rivals. Um, I got started at Rivals.com. Like the Gamecock show, we're all dead inside here. <laughs> That's true. Uh, I got started uh, at Rivals back in like 05. I did go to Tennessee, I graduated from Tennessee, but I, I'm from Wisconsin originally. I moved around, I, I grew up in Texas a lot as well. Um, so I didn't like Tennessee's not in my family, it's not in my blood, it's not the way it is for like a lot of generationally you know, passionate SEC football fans. Like my father's a Wisconsin fan. My grandfather was a Wisconsin fan. They were both born in Madison. I was born in Madison. I grew up a Wisconsin fan. Uh, but when you go to an SEC school, you, you figure out pretty quickly it's a little different than everywhere else. And then just bass backwardsly, I don't know if we can cuss on the show, um, you know, falling into a, a job in college sports. Like I never imagined that. And so I fell in love with like recruiting and covering recruiting and uh, you know, Athlon Sports is the number one market leader for preseason college football magazines. So when I moved to them, I've been with them since 2007, still with them today. You know, ESPN Radio hired me out of Bristol to do college football talk. So like it's it's all college football. But like when you <laughs> especially with Tennessee, let's say in the last 15 years outside of the last two, it's been a lot easier to be in like I have to go against the alma mater a lot because you have to be objective in this job. And when you do that with Tennessee fans, it doesn't go over well. Uh, Tennessee people, I would I would say, are among the worst in the country at not like looking inward and blaming themselves for some of the things that have gone wrong with their program. I think that's fixed now, but that is and South Carolina's got a little bit of this. It's a little bit higher on a higher level. It's a little bit more like state legislative <laughs> like body kind of stuff. But part of the reason Georgia and and Alabama are so unbelievably successful is alignment. Tennessee has never really had good alignment. Texas has never really had good alignment. Uh, we know what happens at LSU and Auburn. It, you know, it's very combustible because it's not aligned very often. Uh, so I, I, I give Tennessee a hard time a lot and have taken a lot of heat for it. But, you know, I'm, I, my daughter shamed me into taking her to the Vandy Tennessee game, uh, my six-year-old this year. So she got to her first, she got to her first SEC football game, um, and she saw a lot of touchdowns and then asked me, like, why are the, why is there so much orange in the stadium, Dad? I live in Nashville for most of my life. She's like, why is there so much orange in the stadium, Dad? I'm like, welcome to Vanderbilt football, honey. Like, welcome to, to, <laughs> to Vanderbilt. Where your team has a home game on the road. We do yeah, love everybody. That. Yeah, everybody. Yeah. yeah. And, and, hey, we love the accountability. I'm the same with the Gamecocks. And it's kind of you speak to. It's kind of like uh, in, in pro sports where it's like if the ownership is bad, then the rest of it is bad. And that's sort of how speaking of being in alignment, stuff like that. And it starts with the head man a lot of times, the head football coach. That's where I want to start, Braden, with South Carolina and Shane Beamer. Uh, obviously hired basically the same time Hypo was, but in two seasons. I think it's safe to say that Shane Beamer has exceeded all expectations, right? What he did in year one, taking a team that was probably, I think they were three and a half in Vegas, takes them to a bowl game, wins a bowl game, and wins convincingly against UNC. I mean, last year, what they did, winning eight games, the way they closed out the season, nobody. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And I mean, nobody saw that coming. Your just overall thoughts on what Shane Beamer has built in two seasons. I loved what you said uh, on your show, Fringe Element, that this year, and we'll get into this in a second, it's going to be different because now you face real expectations. You're no longer kind of the cute story. You're no longer Cinderella of like, oh, can they surprise again? Right. You know, now it's like there's going to be real expectations. But when you look at the first two years, when you look at recruiting, when you look at the momentum and just what he inherited after the Will Muschamp thing went, went spiraling downward, your overall thoughts on the Shane Bimmer era thus far and just the job he's done in Columbia? I mean, I don't remember exactly what the win total was heading into his first year, but I think a lot of people were thinking sixth, seventh in the in the East, maybe two, three wins, four wins at the best. So, uh, listen, we were all, myself included, completely wrong about the initial evaluation of Shane Beamer. How long can you sustain it? Can you win SEC East championships? That's all like a totally different conversation. But right now, there's no way anybody probably doing this job anywhere, including a lot of South Carolina fans that saw these two seasons coming. And so you got to first start with just absolutely like complete overachievement, excellent job. And we actually talked to him. We had him on our show last summer. And one of the things he was so adamant about, and he he likes to find things. We were talking about this before the show. Like he likes to find things to motivate himself, to motivate his team, things that feel like they're perceived negatives. And he was, when we asked him like, Hey, what is the advantage of of not having the experience? Like, never called a play, never been a coordinator. What, are there advantages to that? What are they? And he's like, he just goes off for like five minutes. He's he's clearly frustrated and angry that like it does. You don't have to be a coordinator to be a head coach. And he's right. Like, you don't calling a defense on third and eight or or designing a a great play on for third and nine is not the same skill set as being a CEO of 150 people. They're very different skill sets. He certainly has hands-on experience with watching somebody do it for his entire life. Um, so there's a lot of things that that we kind of said, okay, we kind of could have seen, maybe should have seen that coming. I think what makes him interesting to me is there's still giant questions. There's still lots of holes. There's still the recruiting is better. Uh, I think, to your point, expectations coming into the season, dealing with that mentally inside of the building is very different than than sort of everyone just kind of ignoring you to some degree, even though that's not what coaches do. But I think that's different. The key is how he's won, I think, is fascinating. And it's hard to kind of pinpoint it because there's not like a metric or a stat. You, you look at the numbers and it's not they're not like great at any one thing. They're really good at special teams. But here's they're really good at winning football games. They're good at playing football. And a lot of that is the head coach in the game knowing when to go for the fake punt, knowing when to go for it on fourth down, managing the clock, like just understanding the game really well. And I think he does that. I think better than most people give him credit for. And that's how they've done it. 
there are plenty of people that say, look, you caught Florida at a good time. You caught Auburn at a good time. You, you caught Tennessee at a good time. You caught like you could say some of these things and that's true, but it doesn't take away from the accomplishment at all. Like it, it just, it just doesn't. He's been very good in two years. They have been very good in two years. I think this is a very different season for everybody, for Tennessee, for Kentucky, for Missouri. I think Missouri's much better. I think the whole East is wide open other than Georgia. And I think we're going to learn a lot about all these coaches in 2023. Yeah, I don't think you have to preach to Gamecocks about Missouri, Braden. I can assure you of that. <laughs> with the, well, with the, with the yeah. recent run. I don't, yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and I was just going to say to your point, though, that uh, you know Beamer ball around these parts is what's preached. Obviously, we've got merchandise with it on it. Um, and it's just a team that you look at, like you mentioned, I even said this last year that it's a team that just, it has that Beamer, that trademark, those fingerprints all over it with the way they win games. Like you mentioned, it's, it's, they, they really truly play three phases and they make you show up and play three phases. And if you don't, if you don't special teams is one of those things that elevate South Carolina from maybe being a six win team to an eight win team. Now, Braden, I want to move to the quarterback position because Spencer Rattler's a guy you've talked about. I've talked about everybody's talked about. And I found myself this time last year saying that I felt like when people were asking me about the 2022 season, how will they fare? I said, this team's going to go as far as seven takes them. I feel like, feel like that may even be more true this year. And I love the point that you made on your show with Michael Bratton, that when you look at South Carolina last year, when he played well, they did well. They won games. When he didn't play well, they struggled. And, I mean, that's no more true than look at the Tennessee game. He throws six touchdowns. Braden, I think the stat was he had six touchdowns in the entire month of October. I mean, it just made no <laughs> sense. So, when you look at the first ten games and how abysmal he was, and then you look at the last two games and how fantastic he was, and then I think the bowl game against Notre Dame, he was solid with a limited roster there. And, of course, you got a new OC now. Do you view Spencer Rattler more – as the guy in the first 10 games? Or can he be that guy in the last two games for the entirety of the season? Is he somewhere in between? Like, how do you look at Spencer Rattler going in the 2023 campaign? Uh, man, if I had that answer, I would be in <laughs> Vegas right now and I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you. Um, I, I mean, look, this isn't rocket science football. Like, when your quarterback plays well, you you have a better chance to win. When your quarterback doesn't play well, you don't have as good a chance to win. That's not rocket science. But, like, what's interesting about him, and, 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 I, and this was, again, I'll go back and kind of repeat myself about him coming into South Carolina so that folks understand kind of where I was at in, in full transparency mode. I thought, look, this is a really talented player. This is a really good player. He was efficient one season, got benched, but now he's going to play for a lesser coach. There's no, you cannot deny that Lincoln Riley and Shane Beamer are on the same level. You just can't. So he's going to play for a first time coach. Who's not as good as Lincoln Riley in an offense that doesn't have as many pieces against much better defenses and a tougher schedule. Why would we expect him to be better? Not that he's not a good player, but why would we expect him to be better? That was my take kind of going into the year. First 10 games seemed like that was pretty accurate. And even if you even if you add in the last couple of games, his quarterback rating, his yards per attempt, his touchdown to interception ratio, his completion percentage has all gone down from his first year at Oklahoma to his second year at Oklahoma to his third year at South Carolina. It's all gone down. So he's gotten less good. But at the same time, you can't have that conversation without talking about the offense and talking about, well, Marcus Satterfield, things were super complicated. They were running, you know, with young players and inexperienced players, they're running a bunch of different formations that were making the offense super complicated and 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 kind of bogging it down a little bit. Like against Tennessee, it wasn't complicated to see the plan. We're gonna we're gonna attack man-to-man coverage. We're gonna go down the field, we're gonna demand that Tennessee make plays. And they couldn't. Georgia did the same thing to Tennessee the week before, or two weeks before. We're going to go down the field. We're going to attack your corners. We're going to see if you can handle it. Tennessee couldn't handle it. 
and so, and Spencer Rattler was the most accurate I've seen him maybe his entire career because down the field was his problem at Oklahoma. He was very accurate, 75% in his second season underneath. And Lincoln Riley wanted him to push the ball down the field, and he kind of just wouldn't do it. And that's why Caleb Williams came in. No shame getting benched for Caleb Williams. That's not a knock on anybody. He's the best player in college football, arguably, in 2023. So the key is, what does Dowell Loggins do with the offense? What are the new wrinkles? What does it look? Is it more simplified and streamlined and fast so that everybody plays fast, like the last couple of games? Is it going to be more nuanced and complex? I cover the Titans. Dowell Loggins in the NFL is not really regarded as like a great offensive coordinator. He's, he's Titans fans kind of just mentioned him with like a bunch of other coordinators that weren't all that great here. That doesn't mean he's not going to be good in college. It's far easier in college to scheme, to change things, to do things differently. Talent levels are different. In the NFL, you're sort of just given the players you got and you got to sort of, you know, go to work. It's much, much harder. College football is much easier, especially when you have a solid quarterback like Rattler. So it, it, I know that that's a long way of saying and I like a lot of the weapons. You know, Wells is a great player. I think getting Joyner involved in more more creative ways is going to be interesting. Like, they've got a great tight end room. Like, they've got a lot of good pieces. Offensive line's a huge question. But it it does really – I hate to oversimplify it, but, like, they're going to play in almost – I mean, how many of these games are 50-50 games? Like, right now on paper. And I would say this for every team in the East. But North Carolina, Mississippi State, Tennessee, Florida, Missouri, Texas A&M, Kentucky, Clemson might all be 50-50 games right now on paper. And if we're talking about a bunch of 50-50 games, which, and again, I would say the same thing for Tennessee. I would say the same thing for Kentucky. I would say the same thing for Missouri and for maybe even for Florida. And say, look, these are all 50-50 games for all of you guys. What's going to decide how, how you win those games? Whether or not you win two or three close ones or lose two or three close ones, it's probably going to be, does the quarterback make the right decision at the right time? I don't, I don't know if we can trust Joe Milton. I don't. I don't know if we can trust Devin Leary. I kind of do. I have no idea if we can trust Brady Cook. I think Rattler's the most talented of all of them. So let's see what he can do. And if he can do it, then they're going to win a bunch of these 50-50 games and get to that eight or nine win range. And I think that's a huge, that's another giant step forward for South Carolina. Braden, you mentioned just how wide open it is. And I heard you mention this. The health of the SEC is as good as it's been, right? It's not just Bama and Georgia and then everybody else kind of stinks. <clears throat> There's a lot of quality football teams out that I think you said that if they were in different conferences, maybe at the top of their conference might win yeah. their conference, but welcome yeah. to the SEC where everybody's <laughs> on everybody. Um, I, I want to get back to the point you made about this season and the expectations, and I'd love to just hear your thoughts on how this changes the and how it makes it more complex, I guess you could say, because I look at this football team, I agree with you, I think, offensively, and I again, I find myself agreeing with you a lot because I heard what you said, that this could be a season where the offense is actually slightly better, but the defense, Braden, is my concern. A after you lose guys like Birch and Edmund and the Portal, I thought the Portal honestly kind of ravaged South Carolina. Yeah. I mean, you won in the grand scheme of things with getting Rattler and Wells back, but the portal, it giveth and it taketh. I think it took this time with losing guys like Lloyd, with Bell on the offense. Granted, you do get Trey Knox from Arkansas at tight end, which I think is being very much so slept on on the offensive side. And I think it might be addition by subtraction with getting Knox replacing Bell. Anyways, on the defensive side, though. I mean, he's he's basically a receiver. I mean, like, right. yeah, he's, he's going to – yeah. The relationship with Justin Steph, I mean, I, I think he's yep. it's just going to be seamless. Oh, by the way, Nicholas Harbour is also going to be on the roster. That's a guy we're not talking about because he's not there yet. But on the defensive side specifically, though, Braden, I mean, you know, you've got a lot of talented guys in the secondary. I heard you talk about Torian Gray. I mean, one of the best defensive backs coach in the country and what he's done there in the secondary, what Clayton White's done, right? You know, doubt them at your own risk. But, I mean, anytime you lose guys like Cam Smith, Darius Rush, like there's going to be some sort of adjustment drop-off. And unfortunately – 
Yep. While these guys are getting kind of acclimated and getting things going, oh, by the way, you've got the first half of the schedule that I could argue maybe is the toughest first half of a schedule in college football when you look at who you're playing, where you're going, et cetera. But I think this year, year three, Braden, people make it a very big deal about, you know, how many games do you win? And this is kind of the year that you show the trajectory of your program. I don't know if that's fair, unfair, but I think this is a big year for stability. I was actually talking about somebody, I was talking with this to somebody yesterday and just saying that, you know, people look at South kind of football like it's just old South kind of football, right? They're going to fall off. They're going to – like, I feel like this is the year where it's like if Shane Beamer and company, if they can just win eight games, eight or more, I think you start to show that we're here to stay. This, was, this wasn't this was just a flash in the pan last year for two games. Like, South kind of football, we're setting eight as kind of the new floor versus regressing and going back to six and six and just kind of what yeah. South kind of football has – has always been. So, I mean, your thoughts on that and obviously the expectations that follow with what I feel like is a really, really big year for for Shane Beamer and his program. Well, so I'm not big on, and I know I made kind of like a, a joking you know, <laughs> prediction with, with Michael on the show about South Carolina-Tennessee game. Um, I just want to make sure everyone's clear. I think South Carolina boat races Florida this year because of the same thing, because of the revenge factor back at home, I think going on the road. I think your point about the schedule is interesting because of who they're playing and how those teams are built. And again, when you lose three top, top, probably top 100 draft picks right off the defense, three guys off that defense that are going to be top 100, two corners. You, you, it's not great to be playing like arguably <laughs> four or five of the best passing offenses in America in the first half of the season. That's just unlucky. Like to have Will Rogers and Georgia and Drake may and Tennessee's offense on the schedule is just unlucky, frankly, in that, in that situation. So I, I think going back to your expectation question, I, it, I'm not into predictions, big like big picture. I just don't, I, you know, do I like to throw a few bucks down on some over-unders in February and in March? Sure. Do I throw a couple bucks down on some games? Sure. Uh, you would be embarrassed at the amount of money that I wager on college football games. I am not a gambler. It's beer money for me. I don't use it as a revenue stream. But what I love about sports, and in particular SEC, and college football in particular, is we get to ask questions, find out the answers in real time together, and then try to figure out what it all means. And so you could look at the expectation questions in two different ways. It's like, okay, now you have pressure to win. Haven't had that the last two years. Or the other side of that coin is now you have more confidence than ever before. You, you're you a more confident roster. You have, you have more belief in yourself because you've now replicated the success of the first season into the second season. You, you, your offensive success down the stretch has to buoy you into the offseason. Like, th there's two different ways to look at it. Like, And what we learn is what, what happens to coaches and players when faced with those situations? Does the confidence carry you and make you better? Or does the pressure suffocate you and make you worse? And those are those, that's, what we, that's why we watch college football. Like That's why we watch the sport. And we're going to figure it all out in real time together. So I, I don't know the answer to that question. I believe that Shane Beamer, if he can do one thing really well, is connect on like a psychological level with his players. And to me, that says that they handle expectations pretty well. The question is, is a team that gave up 30-plus points per game in the SEC simply just not talented enough to keep up with some of the best offenses, some of the best quarterbacks, and some of the best teams that we have in college football? I mean, I don't, like, I don't believe in Joe Milton from the Orange Bowl. I don't believe in bowl game performances in general. That's just not a thing I believe in. If Tennessee gets Orange Bowl Joe, Tennessee's going to be really, really good. I, I wouldn't bet on that. I think, I think Tennessee's 8-4. and four. I think they take a, a step back. But Devin Leary and Liam Cullen reuniting in, in Kentucky, they're going to be pretty good. They got a lot of good weapons. How good? I don't know. Seven wins? Eight wins? I'm not sure. 
I think Eli Drinkwitz giving the ball over to an offensive coordinator and Kirby Moore and allowing him to call plays with a returning starter or quarterback with some of those weapons they've recruited. Don't know how good they're going to be, but they could be pretty good. Seven or eight wins. Like we, we could just keep doing this in the East. Like it's, they're all in that seven or eight win range. And again, the difference is going to be who, which quarterback plays well and which defensive roster gets developed the fastest because South Carolina fans are excited about the recruiting and Shane Beamer's done a really good job the last two years. They are behind Tennessee and Florida in terms of recruiting rankings in both of those two. Like, if South Carolina fans want to say, look, we've got all these young, talented freshmen coming in, a great class. Tennessee was better. Tennessee has better front seven players coming in. I don't think either class is going to impact this year. I think it takes years for those guys to make an impact. So I, I just don't know about the defense. I do think your secondary can develop. I'm more concerned about the front seven because, again, when you when you have to pressure the quarterback – like you got to get after Tennessee's quarterback, you which they did well last year. You got to get after Georgia's quarterback, which no one can do. Uh, you got to get after Drake May. Like you got to disrupt the pocket with these guys, and then it helps cover up the deficiencies in the secondary because you lost two NFL players. So I, even if those guys develop quickly on the back end, throwing them out there against some of the best quarterbacks in the first four or five weeks of the season is not exactly ideal. So uh, if they win seven or eight games, I would I would consider that a a pretty darn good season considering the schedule, the state of the roster, and you got to view it as a from a recruiting standpoint, building for 2024. Like I tell this to Tennessee people, 2024 is the year. It's not 2023. 2024 is the year. And so I, same thing with Florida. I can, I think Kentucky's years, they have to do it this year. Like they need to do it this year, but I think Tennessee and South Carolina, I could argue it's, it's the following year, but we'll see. So I, it defense and quarterback play, man, it's, Rules the day in the SEC, and uh, they're all kind of about the same right now in the East. Other than other than Georgia at one and Vandy at seven, they're they're basically all the same. Yeah, I, I was going to say, speaking to the front seven deficiencies, Braden, last year South Carolina allowing 194 yards per game on the ground. I mean, it's a miracle that team won eight games allowing 194 yards per game on the ground. You just don't typically do that. Well, and 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 not, and not exactly uh, advanced metrics, not exactly positive on the offensive side, running the football right, no. and, or protecting the yeah. quarterback. So, like, at some point, you have to win in the trenches. And, and turning the ball over. I mean, there were a lot of things that South Carolina did not do well. I mean, for all the things they did do well, there were a lot of things that were ugly that they right. found a way to overcome thanks to Beamer Ball, thanks to some good bounces, what have you. And I agree with you. I feel confident putting Georgia and Penn at one, Vandy and Penn at seven. <laughs> I mean, two through six is literally shake it up, Yahtzee. Put them wherever they fall, I guess. I, I do think I'd put Florida at six. Okay. I think they're one step behind, maybe like a half step or a half game or, or whatever, but I really like Billy Napier. I think the other ones, though, I'd probably have Missouri four. What am I at? How many teams am I at? <laughs> Missouri five, South Carolina four, Kentucky three, Tennessee two, but I think they all could be eight and four. Like they all could have the exact same record. And it's not much different in the West. Yeah. After Alabama and, and LSU, like AM, Auburn, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Arkansas, they could all be eight and four. Like we could have nine, eight, and four teams in the SEC. And to your point, I don't I can't think of a single fan base that is upset right now. And yeah. I've I've been covering this league for 20 years. I went to school in the SEC. Half the league is almost always pissed off about something. And nobody in this league is upset right now. They are all happy with their coach. They're all excited about the season. They all have positive expectations. And that is a scary, terrifying place to be. Because something bad is going to happen to somebody, and I have no idea what it is. Yeah, it's like you mentioned, Braden, on your show. Somebody has to lose football games. You can't just take the yeah. over for everybody, right? Uh, last thing, Braden, before I get you out of here, because, again, we could go on and on. I would love to get you back on the airwaves Anytime. Uh, later this uh, later this offseason to talk more SEC football. But 
You mentioned you guys were talking over-unders. They're obviously hypothetical right now, but I think what's interesting, you took the under on South Carolina on eight, which obviously states that you think South Carolina is closer to a 7-5 and five team than a 9-3 and three team, which I respect. Tell me why and what will have to click this year for Carolina to say hit that over total, if you will. If, if you beat North Carolina, Mississippi State, and Tennessee – you go to four. You go start the season four and one. You can have me on that week and tell me I was wrong. <laughs> I am fine with it. I got no problems with it. As I said on my show at the very, very end two weeks ago, um, it does not matter how many touchdown passes Spencer Rattler throws or Joe Milton throws. I sleep exactly the same way every single night, which is terribly. <laughs> so, like that is, it, it does not affect my life. Um, but I'm happy to come on and, and say absolutely dead wrong. I've had to do it each of the last two years, as has most people about South Carolina. Um, as I said, I think Missouri not only plays well against you guys, but they get you at home. And I think this is the best Missouri team Eli Drinkowitz has had. Really, really good on defense. Struck gold with their with their coordinator hire in, in Baker two years ago. They're they have they're one of the best defenses in the league. They're also re- the number two team in the SEC in terms of returning production, top 10 in America in returning production. That generally means to plus one, plus two wins in a season o- overall if you're talking sort of like statistical nerd stuff there. So I think Missouri at home, that's a win for Missouri. I think Tennessee with the revenge factor at home, breaking into new secondary, I think Tennessee wins that game. I think they flip the Florida game and they win that game. I don't think anybody beats Georgia. I think Georgia beats everybody by like three touchdowns. That schedule is largely comical. Um, so I, I, it almost all comes down to North Carolina. <laughs> yeah. And they are going to challenge your defense in a very big way, but they also can't stop anybody. So if it's a shootout and Spencer Rattler can outduel Drake May, that is probably your eighth win. So it kind of comes down to Charlotte, weird neutral site game, beginning of the year against the guy who could be the number one pick in the draft. Like that, that I would lean North Carolina slightly in that game. Doesn't mean South, I, South Carolina has won that game a million times under Shane Beamer. So it kind of comes down to that one. And if you think, and that also requires you to beat Kentucky at home. I mean, Clemson at the end of the year, like it, this is one of the most difficult schedules in America. And A&M is going to be significantly better this year. Just, I think they're going to beat Tennessee and Knoxville. I think they're going to beat South Carolina. Like it, A&M is, is salty. They're, they're going to be better than people think because Petrino fixes a lot of problems. Those recruits from two years ago are now all over the depth chart. And three years ago, they're all, they're all sophomores and juniors now. Um, I, I think A&M is going to be much better than people think, which I know is like like putting your hand back on the burner. I get it. <laughs> but but I, I just think there's a lot of games that you could go either way, and you need a lot of things to go your way to get to eight wins. So uh, I'll go seven and five, and I am happy to come on here and tell you how wrong I was. I have no problem with that. I, I'm married. I know exactly how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Braden Gall of 440 Sports, a fringe element of the SEC football podcast. Just let everybody know, Braden, where they can find your work, because, again, I was looking at uh, your resume, if you will, if you want to call it that. And, obviously, you do a great <laughs> job, do a lot of different things. Uh, just let everybody know where they can find your work and exactly what it is that you do. You want to let, let everybody know uh, where to find you. Well, I've been basically running my mouth about college football for 20 years. Um, so, we've got a, the Cover 2 podcast from Athlon Sports is all the entire country. It's been around since 2014. Um, that one's, again, that one's going to cover all all conferences across the country. Uh, Fringe Element is our SEC-only product, so probably the one you guys care the most about. It's myself, Aaron Dugan. She worked at an SEC facility for about a decade. Steven Lassen is a, is a part of both of those shows, who's like my you know, like super genius savant uh, co-host on Cover 2 and sometimes on Fringe as well. So 
Fringe Element Podcast, everywhere you get your podcast. We are big believers in digital. We are, we are big believers in just give the people what they want. Go a mile deep with the things that they care about. Um, and and you can listen whenever you want. So we, we've got two episodes during the season. Uh, we do one big long one in, in the off season, but a lot of, you know, we like to mix it up. We have a bunch of like non-football people on. We've got comedians and musicians and, you know, that we're, We've got so so much of Southern culture is interwoven between not just college football, but with music and food. And so we kind of we kind of like to go off the rails a little bit in the offseason and have some fun. So Fringe Element, if you like SEC football, uh, if you like Jason Isbell, for example, we're, we're, we're going to talk about that kind of stuff. So just come hang out with us. Fringe Element podcast everywhere you get your podcast 440 sports and you can get to me. Uh, at Braden Gall on Twitter and tell me how awful all of my takes were today. So. <laughs> and I'm sure they will, Braden. You know, Gamecock fans never. Yeah, Brad and, Brad and blew up my mentions, man. It's just Tennessee fans. It's just Tennessee fans and South Carolina fans yelling at each other. I can't even look at the look at the app anymore. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't help when I quote tweeted and said, all right. No, I love it. You would, yeah, I was like, why not? <laughs> That's true. Get the That's true. It's partly your fault, too. I forgot about that. It was partly my fault, but I can't miss. <laughs> I, I, we've got some, I know some Gamecock fans, and it's crazy, man. Out, outside of... Uh, Slim sucks is what we call him on this show, but uh, outside of the Tigers, Tennessee is is right up there on the hit list. I don't know why, too. I've had great interactions with Knoxville folks, but I uh, they're, oh, they're, they're I'll tell you why they're they're completely obnoxious at all times. Like that's that is it's very easy to hate Tennessee fans. In fact, every time tennis something happens to Tennessee, in which they should be earning sympathy from around the country, they somehow figure out a way to make themselves look even worse in those situations like Lane Kiffin leaves. That's a moment where the country should be like, Oh dude, you lost your, your young talented coach to like his dream job on the West coast. And instead like he needs a police escort from his house because they're burning mattresses on his front yard. Like it's just t- Tennessee people are, are insane. So I have no problem. And by the way, for the record, I vacation in South Carolina. My brothers live in South Carolina. Um, I low country is one of my favorite places in the world. Like truly one of my favorite places in the world, which I know is not where Columbia is, but is one of my like absolute favorites. Charleston and Nashville have a ton of overlap in terms of culture, music, food, everything. Uh, I love, I love South Carolina game day atmosphere. One of the best in the country. Uh, I think you probably need more than four, 10 win seasons, but that's just me considering the fan support and the resources, but that's just me. <laughs> Fair enough. We'd all agree with you. Braden Gall, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on and let's definitely do it again soon for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. For great Braden Gall, I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in and we'll catch you next time on the episode of the Spurs Up Show. the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running everything would suddenly stop hospitals factories schools and power plants they all depend on you no matter the weather emergency or time of day you're the ones who get it done at granger we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies count on real-time product availability and fast delivery call clickgranger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done